0: Welcome to the At Cash and Biz show, where it's our mission to highlight the positive impact being made by successful
1: entrepreneurs in the medical cannabis industry. Now, here's the host of the At Cash and Biz show, Tim Strombel. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome into the program. Tim Strombel, happy to be with you, whether you're listening to us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or www.cashandbiz.com. Com. Fantastic show for you on the program today, so thank you so much for being with us once again. The lady who's going to be joining me in just a second is from the Maya Media Collective. You can check them out, Maya mayamc.com. She is the co-founder and marketing director of Maya Media Collective and the author of the Marijuana Millions ebook series, which Weedblog recently called the best cannabis branding book to date. It can be found at upliftmarketinglab.com. The lady's name's Alexa DeVette. Alexa, how are you this afternoon?
0: I'm fine, thank you, Tim. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited.
1: Yeah, I'm excited to get into this. For the listeners at home in this show, I mean, we've talked about branding uh, your existing business on the show before, but what about a new company? Where should your initial strategy be? Uh, What mistakes should you avoid? We're also going to talk about once you're up and running, what should you do to make sure you're keeping your business going and moving forward? If you're standing still, are you in fact going backwards? I would argue you would. We'll uh, We'll ask Alexa all about that, and then we'll find out who who Alexa DeVette is and why is she so interested in helping the cannabis industry? Alexa, first off, I've already welcomed you into the show. Could you tell us a little bit about your background? Where did you come from before you co-founded Maya Media Collective?
0: Um, thanks for asking, Tim. So I recently um, got really excited about the cannabis industry because I've been a long-term cannabis advocate and um a medical grower for the last 8 years i went to college in ashland oregon and southern oregon university and graduated with a degree in public relations in 2001 and then my first 10 years out of college i did a lot of public relations and marketing strategies for the nonprofit world, and um, in 2009, I started an online coaching program for college grads, teaching them how to avoid at that time a very dismal job market and create success using online marketing principles. So teaching them how to use the power of the internet to build successful businesses. Um, I'm a certified business coach. Like I said, I have a background in public relations and. My main focus has been using public relations and smart marketing techniques to help nonprofits and young entrepreneurs build successful businesses and earn money.
1: Now, where does the cannabis industry come into play? Because at some point, I mean, you mentioned 2009 when you start helping uh, uh, you know, young entrepreneurs in the job market, and then there's a six-year gap between 2009 and today, and now you're working in the cannabis industry. Can you tell us how that happened and why it happened?
0: Sure. So around 2008, I was approached by a friend of a friend who has MS. And she asked me if I would be interested in being a caregiver for her. And like I said, I live in Oregon. We've had a really strong, amazing medical program for a long time. I was a cannabis advocate my you know, whole adult life, or even in my teenage years, I always kind of had a feeling that this was something that could really help sick people. And so I was always kind of aware and interested in the industry. And when I was approached by this friend to be a caregiver for her friend, it just seemed like a good fit. So I jumped into the medical community around that time and have just found that it's just such a passionate group of people. There are a lot of patients that are really benefiting from using marijuana as medicine, and it was just a great fit for me. I didn't realize then that I would be able to kind of merge my careers, so to say. So my background in public relations, marketing, business coaching, public speaking, and my passion for the medical community and create a new career for myself and a new business that now is helping cannabis entrepreneurs serve the medical community and now the recreational community. So it's really exciting to be able to blend my passions and to finally live that quote where they say, if you love what you do, you don't work a day in your life. And I always thought those people were crazy because I was like, it's always work. But now I know they're not crazy because I love what I do. I'm passionate about this industry and I have a lot of experiences and skills that can help can a business entrepreneurs be successful. So it feels really good to be here and I'm super grateful for the path behind me and before me.
1: Now, is this an industry you always kind of saw yourself? you know, eventually one day perhaps wanting to be in or did it kind of catch you off guard where you just recently, you know, kind of discovered, hey, this is a great opportunity here. Let's take what I do, apply it to this industry and take off. Which one was it for you?
0: I think it was a blend of both, Tim, because like I said, I've always been passionate about cannabis. I've always kind of thought that there was something here that we could use for medical purposes, especially. I mean, when you look at these kids with epilepsy or cancer and what's helping them, and you look at these, you know, adults with MS or arthritis, I mean, the, just the power of medical marijuana is so huge. And like I said, I was, you know, an advocate for this my whole adult life. I don't think if you asked me 10 years ago, if I was going to have a successful marketing and branding company for the cannabis industry, I would have maybe laughed and been like, I hope so, but I don't, (laughs) know, I think that none of us really thought that it would start to unfold this quickly and this amazingly. So looking in my crystal ball, I don't know if I would have said, yeah, I'm definitely going to join the cannabis industry because I didn't know it was really going to happen. We've all sort of been in the dark. But now that it's here, it's a perfect fit for me because it's something that I, you know, I'm involved in the community. I've been involved in this family for a long time and I have these other skills and it just feels like a great fit to combine them and help people.
1: What was your household like growing up? Was it strict? Was it more free spirit? I'm getting a sense that you were a little bit more of a free spirit growing up.
0: I had a strict upbringing. I grew up on the East Coast with, my parents are both entrepreneurs um, in advertising and finance. I grew up right outside New York City. Um, They definitely would not have been on board for this until the Wall Street Journal started writing articles about it. And now they send me articles and tell me how proud they are of me because they see that you know, we're all pioneers in this industry and, you know, the East Coasters love the almighty dollar. So they see that this is an amazing opportunity. And now that I've been able to educate them about what medical cannabis can do, and they've seen it working on their own ailments as they've aged and their friends with arthritis are all about the CBDs. Now they're really seeing the science and the economics catch up to what seemed like a counterculture to them for a long time. I've, just always been a free spirit. I was raised by entrepreneurs. So we were trained to kind of be able to have risk tolerance as kids and to just work hard and be nice to people and have good manners and, you know, learn along the way.
1: So now you're the author of the Marijuana 1000000s ebook series, which Weedblog recently gave a very nice compliment, saying it was the best cannabis branding book to date. I got a chance to go through it as well. I loved it, thought it was fantastic stuff. Once again, if you want to at home, go ahead and check out UpliftMarketingLab.com and check this stuff out. It's great educational material. Can you talk about what it is and who should be reading it?
0: Sure. So Marijuana Millions, um, the foundation for success is... An ebook that helps canna business owners use smart branding and marketing techniques to create success in their businesses. But it goes above and beyond just, hey, this is step one in defining your brand, this is step two in creating a marketing plan. It really talks about the background of the industry and the pioneers that have led us to this day. It also talks about using community service as a public relations tool and how doing well in your business by doing good in your community is a very smart marketing and uh, branding technique and also a really good way to build a business in an industry like this where, you know, pioneers have risked their lives for us to get here. I think a lot of what the weed blog was saying really resonated with me, that there are all these people who are really amazing marketers and branding people, designers who don't know much about the cannabis industry, who've kind of seen this as a green rush, who've come in with their, you know, MBAs from Harvard or their business degree from Wharton. And they're super smart and they're amazing people, but they don't really know about the cannabis industry and the background and everything that it's taken to get us here. So they bring their business, you know, outside business mentality to an industry that they think can just kind of have a cookie cutter approach And the difference between that and the Marijuana Millions book is that it really understands the cannabis industry from an inside perspective and how we got here and how, yes, we need these time-tested marketing principles and branding techniques that have stood the test of time, that have worked in the real world, that have worked in these businesses, but we also need to balance that with gratitude and an understanding of what it's taken to get us here because this didn't just happen poof overnight. It's taken a lot of hard work and I think that that's one thing that really resonates with industry insiders about the Marijuana Millions book is that it was written by someone who gets it. I've been in this industry a long time. I've seen the power of medical marijuana. I've seen what can happen with the tax dollars from recreational. And I think that it's an incredible opportunity to reach the masses who are interested in this industry, who've worked hard for this industry, and, and help them be successful. Because you know they deserve a piece of the pie because they've risked their lives for this. They've worked so hard to serve the medical community. And I'm on a mission to help them be super, super successful while the opportunities are here.
1: And I think that's a really good point too. I mean, you can go and get your business degree from wherever, but I doubt a lot of schools out there, I mean, it- maybe except from Oaksterdam up in Oakland, are teaching you the necessities inside the cannabis industry about how to really understand it. And if I know anything about the cannabis industry, it's that it's an industry that can really cut through the bull, if you will, and is very transparent when it looks at people and it looks at different strategies that people are using. So I do get what you're saying, because it feels like it's almost a blend of, yeah, you do need that education and it does help you. uh, But if you don't have the knowledge of the industry, what Got the industry here, and what the industry wants, you're really going to come up short in your marketing and your branding.
0: I also think just to piggyback on that, that this industry right now in its infancy, because even though it, I I live in Oregon, even though it feels like it's sort of a runaway train, and a lot of people are nervous they're going to miss the train, it's not. It's we're not even close to what we're going to do. We've only got three or four states right now that are fully legal, plus the District of Columbia. California's revamping their medical program. They're looking to vote on recreational in 2016. It's not nationwide yet. Nobody's missing the train. It's not. It has not left the station yet. While the train is in the station, we have the opportunity to build an industry the way we want it, the way the insiders, the growers, the processors, the medical patients... The way we want to see this industry work and that's unique to the cannabis industry there's not another industry right now where you could get in on the ground floor create something work closely with the movers and shakers and the politicians and the people that are going to benefit from the medicine and create something that works for everyone and i think right now the industry is wary of outsiders They're wary of the people who are just coming in for the dollar. They're wary of the people who really don't understand what these patients who are really sick are going through. And they just, like I said, they're coming in for money. The industry is also wary of the big guns, the people that are waiting for federal legality before they can jump in with their multinational, multimillion-dollar corporations. And so right now, the family, as I like to call it, has this opportunity to create something amazing that we can be really, really proud of. And that's why I just really want us to all remember how we got here, because I was only a little kid when these pioneers were working really hard on this in the sixties and seventies. And I think that it's easy to forget the Jack Herrers and all the people That have, you know, the guy who wrote The Emperor Wears No Clothes, like, he went to jail for this. And without him and without other people like him, you and I, Tim, wouldn't even be having this conversation. (laughs) And I think that that's just something to remember when we move forward. Yes, there's money to be made. Yes, we want, you know, to earn our marijuana millions. It's the title of the book. But we don't want to just do that by stepping on each other. We want to do that while we create an amazing industry that levels the playing field for people who maybe don't have an MBA, but who are master gardeners. You know, so there's a lot of opportunity here. And I just really want people to know that they can absolutely create a successful can business and they can compete with the big guns.
1: Now, we've talked about branding and advertising on this show before, marketing as well, but that was most, uh, mostly focused on established businesses. Now, what I liked about your ebook series is you also address the businesses, uh, you know, pre launch, their inception, before anything else. Why is it so important to you, in your mind, to get strategized well before you launch your business?
0: Well, it goes back to what I was just saying, and it comes down to competition. So the old mindset that weed will sell itself just doesn't work anymore. This environment is really, really competitive. I mean, in Portland, just in the Multnomah County, in Portland itself, over 100, I think it's almost 200 dispensaries are open within the city limits. So how are we going to attract the customer that could be driving down the street and seeing a different dispensary every thousand feet? And that really comes from having a strong, strong foundation. The can of business owner has to know what sets him or herself apart from the dispensary or the recreational store a thousand feet away. And if you don't have that strong foundation, then you won't create a unique branding um, strategy that is unique to you, that speaks to your target audience, and that makes that target audience want to stop the car and come into the store. And then, of course, a long-term success strategy has to piggyback on that. It's not good enough to just have a beautiful logo and an amazing website. You have to have a strategy to drive traffic to the website and then turn that traffic into dollars in your store. And so that comes with a long-term strategy that looks at your foundation and creates a roadmap for where you want to go.
1: Now, is the lack of a long-term strategy, is that one of the biggest mistakes you see people make that should be avoided? Or is there something else you can kind of put our finger on that our listeners can put in the back of their memory bank and say, let's make sure I don't do this?
0: Yeah, of course the long-term strategy is incredibly important because remember, even though this is a cannabis business, which is unique – it's still a business and the same principles and foundations that have been working for successful businesses since time began are going to work here, even though it's a little bit of a different industry with a little bit of a different twist. So what I've seen obviously besides the long-term strategy is that people love to put the proverbial cart before the horse. So For example, I've seen dispensary owners get super excited about having, you know, fancy iPads hooked to their POS system and having, you know, this amazing digital screen of all their products and mulling over the colors of their walls before they've even figured out their unique selling proposition and who their target audience is and their mission statement and their value statements and their branding. So it's really easy to get caught up in decorating your dispensary before you even have a logo, or developing a website before you even have targeted your audience. So I mean, if you have the most gorgeous dispensary in town, but no one knows about it, then you've just wasted a lot of money. (laughs) And a smart branding strategy includes knowing who you are, most importantly, who you wanna serve, and why you're different from the competition. If you don't know those things, then the inside of your retail space really doesn't matter. And that's something that I've seen a lot in Oregon with dispensary owners is they're excited and they should be. This is really exciting. But you still have to take the time to put the foundations in place because you won't last over the long term because I guarantee you Willie Nelson has a branding and marketing strategy (laughs) and he knows exactly what he's doing.
1: Now, Alexa, let's talk about the difference in location when you're starting your business. Now, you have adult-use states like Colorado, Washington, Oregon. Uh, Can you compare that and, I guess, a business plan in one of those more competitive markets to one that maybe might not be legal and might not have as much competition, but you're still getting ready to ramp up a business? Is there a difference in how entrepreneurs should approach the two styles of their areas, or is it pretty much the same across the board?
0: the foundation is always the same regardless of whether there's a ton of competition or not a ton of competition you always want to know who you are why you're unique why you're awesome who you're serving how you're going to serve them and then how you're going to convey that in your branding you have literally seven seconds to sell your brand on a potential customer and that's not a lot of time if you think about how bombarded we are with marketing messages and advertising messages, it's text, it's phone, it's email, it's TV, it's radio, it's billboard, it's print, it's everything. I mean, you're just constantly bombarded by sales messages in this world. And so you literally have seven seconds to tell your potential customer through your branding and your marketing messages, why you're awesome and why they should do business with you. So that foundation is the same across the board, whether you're entering a saturated market, like Portland, Oregon is currently, or you're entering a brand new market, like some of the States East of us who are just rolling out medical and just rolling out recreational, you want your foundation in place. However, if you're going to drop into Denver, Colorado and open an adult use store and expect to compete with the pioneers, you're going to have to go and be above and beyond that foundation. And what really helps in a place that's saturated, and this is any business in any industry across the world will tell you this, you go in and you figure out what they could do better and you figure out what part of the population is underserved and you figure out a way to target them. So maybe there's, you know, XYZ demographic is not being served in a part of town or there's, you know, a product that somebody needs and they don't even know they need it yet. Figuring out the pain point of your customers, and that can be physical pain in the case of medical, but really it's emotional pain. What is keeping your audience awake at night? How can you serve their needs? How can you do a better job than the competition how can you fill those holes and then again how can you convey that message through your branding and marketing to your potential customers
1: now if you weren't doing this line of work what would you be doing instead i would be
0: doing this exact same thing for a different audience this you can't some...
1: say that no you what... <laughs>
0: You got to pick something else. Uh, Well, I only said that because my background is in business coaching and, you know, marketing and stuff for all sorts of different audiences. I think if I wasn't doing this, I would probably, I don't know, be like managing some like eco yoga resort in some (laughs) tropical island somewhere. I think for me, it's, you know, living a life of balance. And so working hard and helping people and obviously being healthy and happy at the same time. And whatever I could do to do that, I would definitely follow that path. And that's why I'm super lucky and really grateful to be in the cannabis industry because that's what I get every day.
1: Now, Alexa, okay, I threw a curveball at you. Let's get back on topic. Let's talk budget. How much should you be allotting out of the gate for marketing and branding? Does that grow with the company? Does it stay the same? Is it a percentage? How does that work?
0: Well, my numbers can scare people because I'm talking real world numbers. I'm not going to you know, fluff this up and tell you you can get a logo for $200 and you're fine. You can get a logo for $200. It's not necessarily going to be the best logo you've ever seen. It's one thing that we're very passionate about at Maya is creating a very customized approach for each client. And Maya is a creative firm. So that's where you come for your branding, your logo, your website, your business cards, your social media graphics. We're very passionate about creating very customized and unique branding for our clients. So there's not a cookie cutter approach. In general, a full-scale branding package and a website is going to be about $10,000. And with that, and any small to medium agency or creative firm is charging that those prices. We are right on track and competitive with the competition. So if you think about what that entails, that's your creative brief where we figure out how to take your unique selling proposition and your unique awesomeness and turn it into a brand identity package. Your brand identity package includes your logo, your business cards, your letterhead, your social media graphics, Um, the licensing. This is something a lot of people in this industry don't fully understand that when you go to a freelancer or a small firm and you pay a little bit more, not only do you get a higher, you know, a better product, but you also get the rights to use your logo. A lot of people don't understand that actually the designer owns your logo until they give you the licensing rights. So they could come around 10 years later and say, I don't like that you put this logo all over containers for concentrates, and I own the licensing, and they can revoke that. So you want to make sure that you get the licensing rights to your logo so you can use it wherever you want. And then, of course, you want your um, branding guidelines so you know your fonts and your colors and the way the look and feel of your logo should be so it's uniformed across your channels. You don't want your Facebook to look different than your ads on Instagram, to look different than your print ads, to look different than your business cards. Having a strategy that is comprehensive, it comes down to your email signature, what your bud tenders look like, how they act. It's all part of your brand. So when you work with Maya or you work with a freelancer or you work with a creative firm, you should be willing to spend around $10,000 to have everything, including your website, done. And that can be scary as a startup. People don't understand the value of that always. And again, I think the biggest thing is the licensing. What you're paying for is the rights to use your logo indefinitely across all your channels. And that's really, really important. A lot of people don't understand that. And then furthermore, moving forward, you want to be able to take between 10. And some, some business coaches will say up to 25% of your sales, gross sales, and put it back into your advertising. And as a startup, that can be really scary. But if you think about it, for every dollar that comes in, you should set aside a quarter for your future marketing so you can continue to get your beautiful brand and your amazing products and services out to your audience.
1: Now, what do I need as a business owner to grow in the space? Or I guess even just maintain my market share. I mean, I talked about... if you're not growing are you standing still are you going in reverse so is this a constant battle to always be marketing branding and and kind of pushing that envelope
0: i think once you have your brand identity sealed and you love it you've got a few years before you need to really revisit that unless, of course, it's not working for you. It's not aligned with your values and your mission. But if you work with a good freelancer or a really good creative firm or agency, everything should be in line. And that's why we go through the steps that I just outlined with your unique selling proposition and your creative brief. So once your branding's done, you should be able to run with that for many, many years to come because you want to build brand recognition. If Nike all of a sudden did away with the swoosh, they would have a battle, an uphill battle to rebrand and get us all associated with their brand. So you don't really want to do that. Once your branding is set, you want to run with it. It's your marketing and your advertising strategy that needs to grow as you grow. And that includes a budget. So if you look forward to, you know, a three to five year plan, and I talk about this in the ebook, in this day and age of digital marketing, you can't really set a 10 year marketing plan. Things change so fast. I mean, five years ago, if, I, if we knew that Instagram would be everything for the cannabis industry, you know, people would have planned for that. But now it is everything for the cannabis industry. And with the digital platforms changing so quickly, you can't really set a 10 year marketing strategy and just forget about it. You have to constantly be evaluating where your audience is, how they're connecting with your brand, how they're seeing your products and services, and always deliver value to them. Additionally, in the cannabis industry, things are changing so fast. I mean, Instagram tomorrow could decide that it is over us. And, you know, they don't like the quote unquote weed porn. They don't, you know, they're sick of all these people taking dabs on video and they could cut it. And so if you have all your eggs in one basket and you don't have a robust strategy, you could really lose out because any of these platforms can change. And again, it comes back to the principles of marketing. They have not changed over the last hundred years. Just the platforms have changed. So it comes to really connecting with your audience and providing value. We really, really talk about a lot in Maya and in my personal business coaching for the cannabis industry about providing more than just products. To your um, customers providing an experience an environment they can connect to um, providing real and lasting relationships so when they come into your dispensary or they're connecting with your concentrates or your products there's a story there there's something that makes them feel connected to you that's above and beyond just how great your products are
1: now have you encountered any resistance personally or professionally because of your business interests uh, or the fact that you're running a business in the cannabis industry?
0: Well, it's so funny because when we were talking about my parents and my upbringing,
1: mm-hmm. if
0: you know, 10 years ago I wouldn't have been like, "Hey mom, I'm going to grow medical and you know, serve this underserved population of sick people and I'm a cannabis advocate." You know, I don't know if I would have said that over Thanksgiving dinner, but now that the industry is becoming, you know, more mainstream and the Wall Street Journal's writing articles. You know, a lot of us are coming out of the basement and coming off the land and talking to our parents and talking to our, you know, college mentors and professors about what we're doing and not really being met with a lot of resistance. I think that it's becoming much more mainstream. And like I said, when the Wall Street Journal has, you know, articles in it about the cannabis industry or Newsweek just had that article about women in cannabis you know, the stigma is is dropping and the veil is being lifted. And that's really, really exciting. And I think that, you know, there's a lot going on here that we should be really proud of in this industry. We're helping people. We're shaping an industry the way we want to see it. There's not a ton of greed right now. I know that people are really worried about it. I do live in a bubble in Oregon, but I really think that the most of what I'm seeing in this industry is people with a genuine passion and desire to create an industry that serves the medical community, creates tax revenue for states that need it, and lifts the stigma of cannabis. And so it's really exciting right now.
1: Now, Alexa, you talked about different types of marketing uh, in your ebook educational series. One of them I liked a lot, content marketing. You even mentioned that content marketing is the marijuana millions for you because you're showing your, you know, your mental capacity to be a thought leader in the space. Can you talk about the different types of marketing uh, that a business could look to take advantage of in this space?
0: Absolutely. So content marketing is super, super important because unlike the other channels, you own your content. And if you have a website with a blog, which is, we actually encourage all of our clients to have a blog because that's how you set yourself apart from your competition is by proving that you're not just a thought leader, but that you're you're an expert in your niche. So if you're a dispensary owner and you're writing blog posts about how, you know, medical marijuana helps with certain ailments or, you know, how recreational tax dollars are helping your community, you're going to establish credibility in your industry and people do business with people they know, like, and trust. And you build that trust by building credibility and positioning yourself as an authority. Likewise, if you own that blog and you're using a platform that's not free, so if you get a free WordPress platform, WordPress owns your content. If you pay for a theme or you pay for a designer and a developer to create a customized website for you, you own that content. Nobody can take it away. And so that's really important, especially as I segue into social media marketing, which is everything in this industry right now. Instagram is everything. If you're not on Instagram, you are missing out on a huge chunk of the pie. But like I said before, Facebook could decide that they're over us, that they're not wanting to work with us, that they're shutting down accounts, which is happening actually in Oregon. Dispensaries are being shut down all the time and then they just kind of start over. But when you lose a thousand followers or more, that's a big hurdle, So that is, you know, there's always a risk that Facebook could say, you know what, nothing do in cannabis industry, you're on your own, in which case you lose your content. But it is important right now to have social media marketing and then email marketing. And again, it goes back to owning your content and connecting with your clients and prospects and patients Email marketing is huge because you can deliver value right to your prospects and customers inbox, and you can connect with them. You can provide information that they might be looking for. You can you know, show them photos and fun things about what's going on at the dispensary or going on on your farm. You have a real opportunity for engagement, and engagement is so important right now. People really want to be engaged with where they're spending their dollars, So, Email, social, and content marketing are the three main pillars, and they all work simultaneously and in unison, especially because moving forward, we don't know what we're going to be able to do do as far as advertising. Are we going to be allowed to do billboards? Probably not. Are we going to be allowed to do print ads? Maybe not. TV? Maybe not. Radio? Maybe not. But right now social is allowed and if you own your email marketing and you own that list of um, prospects and you own your content, then you've got a strategy that can work for the long term regardless of what your community decides are your limitations as far as advertising.
1: Alexa is the co-founder and marketing director of Maya Media Collective and the author of the Marijuana 1000000s ebook series, which Weed Blog recently called the best cannabis branding book to date. One more time, you can check it out, upliftmarketinglab.com. Alexa, last question for you on the show this afternoon, and it's a tough one, okay? What does Alexa do in her free time?
0: <laughs> um, Alexa tries to sleep when she can. Um, I... Yeah, what do I do? I do lots of yoga, Pilates, lots of exercise because that's my sanity. I also have a million amazing friends all over the country, but mostly on the West Coast. And we all love live music. We go to a lot of concerts and travel with some bands that we love a lot. And, um, you know, being an Oregonian, 19 years Oregonian, I try to get outside as much as possible. So hiking, going to the beach, swimming in the beautiful rivers, hanging with friends, watching sports. It's not a dull life here. It's pretty exciting.
1: <laughs> now, are your sports teams Oregon-based, or did you keep your East Coast ties?
0: I got some East Coast ties. Um, we got some exciting stuff going on with the Mets right now. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty excited about them. Uh, east coast ties and a little west coast flavor trailblazers fan uh, mets fan new york giants fan and yeah you know it's sports are fun we it's just a good way to get out and you know cheer some local teams on with the trailblazers or the timbers and got some rivalry friends i got some patriot a lot of patriots fans in my group of friends so they get pretty fired up yeah the Massachusetts crew gets fired up for sure.
1: <laughs> Alexa, thank you so much for spending some time with us today, okay?
0: Thank you so much, Tim. It was an honor to be here, and I'm super grateful.
1: Once again, Alexa is the co founder, marketing director of Maya Media Collective. You can check them out, mayamc.com. That's M A Y A M C. That's going to do it for us today on the At Cash and Biz show. Thank you so much for being with us, whether it was iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, uh, or www.cashandbiz.com. My name has been Tim Straubel. We will see you next time. Y'all have a fantastic afternoon.
0: Thanks for tuning in to the At Cash and Biz show. Don't forget to subscribe to our feed and check out our social media. We
1: want you to stay in front of the Green Rush.